From the studios of the Private Client Network in Midtown Manhattan, welcome to Luxury on Location. This dynamic podcast features conversations with luxury realtor Kevin Snedden, founder of the Private Client Network at Compass and his Private Client Network partners. In this, our ninth episode of season two, Kevin will be speaking with Caroline Bean, our Private Client Network partner in Houston. Caroline is a top luxury broker in Houston, and here's why. A Houston native, Caroline brings an insider's knowledge and local passion to each transaction. The daughter of an interior designer and stepdaughter of a home builder, Caroline has been immersed in the world of luxury real estate from an early age. Continuing in the family tradition, Caroline's father, in fact, just joined Compass as an agent in the Dallas area. A consistent top producer, clients appreciate Caroline's hard work, responsiveness, and total dedication to their needs. And in case anyone's counting, Caroline has brokered over $500 million in real estate sales during her career, over $91 million in 2021 alone. What we admire most about Caroline is her commitment, her passion, and her overall class. We are so fortunate to have Caroline in our private client network, and we are delighted to have her as our featured guest on Luxury on Location. Hello, Caroline. Hi, Kevin. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. Welcome to Luxury on Location. Glad to be here. So you go way back with us in the private client network, one of the original members, and you're one of the people that I feel really set the stage for this in terms of the quality of the people, not only the professional production, but your depth of character, et cetera. You're part of that sort of core founding group. So I just want to thank you for engaging in the network and putting all the effort that you put into it. And I think we all can say that it's just grown into something that we never imagined. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like I was one of the first members really down in the South um, as Compass was expanding all their offices. And when I received the call from you, I, I was so excited because I had never had an experience like that before with my previous brokerage. So I'm so honored to be asked and have enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah, I mean, the thing really about what's core to the Compass culture, as far as I'm concerned, is this nationwide network, just the platform alone that it's one company. It's not a franchise model. I thought from day one, it would be an amazing place to develop sort of a work family across the country and really facilitate referrals and be able to help clients everywhere. And the private client network has just been like a tremendous sort of iteration of that. It really has been. I've had amazing referrals, connections, collaborations over my four years with y'all, and it just keeps getting better. Yeah. And then thanks for the recent referral into New York City, by the way. Yes. <laughs> How cool was that? Yeah. I was so excited when I got to help your sweet clients moving from Greenwich a couple of years ago. And was so thankful I could return the favor. Yeah, no, it's great. So I know you're a Houston native, but maybe you could take our listeners through sort of your entire background personally and professionally. Sure. So I grew up in Houston and I left to go to college. I went to Baton Rouge. I was graduated from Louisiana State University. I had interned actually one year while I was in college with an agent at the very first brokerage I ever worked at. And just to kind of give me a little taste of the industry. And as you know, when you don't have your license and you're doing it for a short period of time, you don't really get like the full impact. But it was interesting to see a little bit of how it worked. So I had this internship when I was in college and it was nice to 
just see a little bit of how that world worked. But of course, you can't really get the full experience of being an agent until you're really doing it day in and day out. And you really have your license and have more background knowledge. So when I graduated from college, it was right at the beginning of that like 2008 recession. So real estate was probably not the best career path to do starting out with no experience and trying to be on my own. So I ended up taking just a salary job with benefits. And it was in a client relations role with a big national company, um, really more in line with commercial real estate. But it was a great experience because I was able to really kind of have hands on with like client interaction, entertaining sales. So it really did give me I guess you could say a little bit of experience before I went into real estate. Um, This job is really not going to be a forever job for me. I didn't really see a long-term career path. So I decided while I was working there to get my real estate license on the side because I really had always been interested in it. Um, So after I got my license, I actually got an opportunity to go back to work for an agent who was looking for an assistant. And I did that for a short period and then was offered a job with that same company as a floating assistant, which is basically what I like to call a paid training program. It was great. You went to the office as you were an employee and agents would book you for their time, whether it was helping them with inspections, helping them with contracts, um, putting up signs. I mean, literally anything you can think of. So I was able to see how 50 different agents ran their business day in and day out because I had a foot in how they ran everything. So I did that for a year and then decided to go out on my own. Um, And actually, my very first client was, and I always think this is a really cool story because it doesn't really happen like this. But when I was a floating assistant, an agent called me and she goes, Caroline, I really need your help. I'm about to get on a flight to leave the country. And I had somebody call me and they want to put an offer on a house. And if they get it, they want you to list, they want us to list their house. And I she's like, can you handle that? And I was like, well, I guess, I guess I'm going to find out. So I was kind of put in the in the hot seat and was able to work with them and get everything kind of squared away for their house. And then the offer on, on the other house that they wanted to move into. And it was a great experience. And I kind of ran the show while the agent was across the country and they were actually those clients of that other agent were the ones that referred me my very first client, um, which was a a true testament to that. Okay. Maybe I can do this. Maybe I, I do know a little bit more than I thought. Um, so from there, I, you know, that very first client that I had called me and said that I got your name from so-and-so and they have since referred me tons of business and those people have referred me business. And so it really, I really attribute it a lot going back to that of how my business got started because, you know, when you're new, when you're a brand new agent, not everybody wants to take that risk. They want to use somebody that has experience and knowledge and is really tapped into the market. And so getting started in this industry can be really tough, um, especially in a big city like Houston, where there's over 40,000 agents. Yeah, that's a good example. Two things I took from that. I think the floating assistant experience, because as you know, every agent sort of does things a little differently. So you got to see you probably took nuggets for what you thought was good and what you didn't think was so good, you know, and what you could use to be effective. And then a window of opportunity opened 
And you were ready for it because you had that sort of training. And that's the best way to learn is just immerse yourself with clients and in a deal and you stepped up. Yeah, absolutely. It was a great kind of step process into getting into the industry. And I, anytime anybody has ever reached out to me for advice on getting started in their real estate career, I really encourage them to do some sort of training or assistant program because it really gets you to be hands-on with, without having all the pressure on you quite yet. No, that's true. And some people just come into this with pure confidence, but they have more confidence than they have skill or experience. And usually you get exposed in that. So you have to sort of pair the confidence with that. You've got to do the training. You really have to. Absolutely. So it seemed like you just built a book of business off of that first deal and those first clients and just brick by brick, just sort of got yourself established, right? Yeah. And I mean, obviously, as I've been in the industry for over 11, going on 12 years now, I made some other contacts along the way and made different referral sources and and have had relationships outside of work that have turned into clients. So there's kind of been a little bit of that. And then of course, when I joined Compass four years ago, I opened up a whole nother door for potential referrals is, you know, having this network, having amazing agents across the United States that are going to refer you clients that are like your other clients and that you can work with really well and do a great job for. And so I have a whole nother pipeline now. Yeah, that's great. Can you take us through now? Let's talk about the Houston real estate market. Can you take us through the market in terms of what was the COVID impact? And now, obviously, the market's probably in transition like all the other markets across the country. So what's sort of trending now? Yeah, I mean, COVID, of course, I mean, we were just like pretty much any other city in the United States. I mean, I think everybody sold more real estate last year than they had sold in a really long time, if not had their best years ever. So those numbers are extremely, extremely high from the last couple of years of COVID. But of course, all good things sometimes come to an end and we have to normalize a little bit. There's no way we were going to be able to keep up with that. So I feel like Houston overall, mainly especially the neighborhoods that I work in, we didn't see some of the crazy numbers like other cities in Texas, like Dallas and Austin and probably other cities across the United States. I mean, we definitely saw bidding wars. We definitely saw over asking, but we never saw like 500 plus thousand over asking. I mean, it just never got that outrageous here to the point where we're going to have to see it come down. I think other cities are seeing prices come down a lot. And what I'm seeing more in Houston is that we're just more normalized. Like we're still getting some houses with asking. We're still getting houses that are going quickly within a couple of days, multiple offers, maybe not over asking, maybe at asking or right around there. But that's really just due to the lack of inventory. I mean, we still only have two and a half months of inventory. So anytime a good house comes on, there's a a backup of buyers that have been waiting. So there is still a demand for the right houses. And a lot of neighborhoods that I work in, the houses are still selling rather quickly. We're just not seeing this crazy over asking bidding war that we were. So it's still a healthy market, in my opinion. And I think as we go into 2023, the beginning of the year in spring, I think we're going to see 
a healthy market, but maybe just a little bit more normalized. And we're just hopeful that we can kind of pick up more inventory because I think that's really the biggest issue is that I'm seeing right now is that, you know, I have buyers, whether they're local or relocating. I mean, there's just not a ton to see. And if it does come on the market and it's good, it's probably going to go pretty quickly. Did buyers really prefer new construction versus more vintage home? No, I do have some people that are moving from LA and Chicago that prefer newer construction or new construction. But typically my average buyer is looking for just a house that's mostly updated. It doesn't really matter what year it is, as long as it's not like everything needs to be touched. There are the off chances that I do have clients that are looking that they want to go in and completely redo a house. But most people want something a little bit more turnkey where they can come in and maybe do some paint or lighting or a few things here and there. But not necessarily everybody that wants new construction. I think it's new construction obviously is going to be at that one of the highest price points in that neighborhood. So it doesn't work for everybody if they want to be in a specific neighborhood financially. But I think that there's definitely a big push for new construction. It was in the realm of their financial situation. But I but I find most clients like to come in and purchase a resale and put their touch on it and kind of make it their own. Sure. So in terms of price point, where does luxury start in Houston? I mean, I think luxury starts over a million. I'd say ultra luxury probably is over three. And then we have the ultra, ultra luxury that's probably over like six plus. And Houston doesn't see some of these numbers that these other cities like New York and LA see. I mean, we... We've had the highest sale that's been recorded in 2022 is just sold and it was $21 million. There have been some off-market sales that are more than that. But typically those 25, 26, that's about cap for Houston in terms of sales that we've never seen. So most of that market is in the luxury market is in that one to three range. Yeah, I think so. I think that's really kind of where I see the biggest demand is that price point. I think that's a pretty kind of generic sweet spot for the luxury market. And then I think after three is where you start seeing, you know, a smaller group and then it tapers off after that. So then Houston also has, you say has a a downtown condo market and then single family as you spread out into the suburbs. Yeah. So downtown probably is not a huge market for us. I mean, there's high rise in condos. We have a four seasons down there, but I really personally don't do anything downtown. I have helped people in the past there. And most of the time it's rentals and people that are working there maybe for the summer or for a short period of time and just want to be close to their office. But most people don't want to live downtown. We have great neighborhoods, single family neighborhoods that are not far from downtown. So I think people prefer to be in that situation so that they can have like parks and backyards and kind of more neighborhood feelings. And then of course, as you go further out, you do get to the suburbs. I don't typically do a lot of stuff in the suburbs just because most of the suburbs from where our office and where I live are about 30 minutes away. So it's almost like it's its its own city. So I try and kind of stay within... I mean, Houston is huge. So I kind of specialize in six, seven, maybe eight neighborhoods. And outside of that, I really try and be careful about 
how I represent people. If I'm not familiar with the neighborhood, I want the best for them. So I don't want to make them be in a position where I'm doing them a disservice, right? So you're in those core upscaled neighborhoods within striking distance to downtown. Yeah, I think everything I do for the most part is is no longer than like a 20 to 25 minute drive from downtown. How has rising interest rates, I would imagine the sub 1 million market has probably taken a hit because of that? Yeah, I haven't had a whole lot of feedback from clients that have had to change their budget due to interest rates. I had somebody that was looking kind of like right around the million dollar price point, low million dollar price point. And when interest rates kind of initially did that first uptick, they brought their budget down by a couple hundred thousand. So I do know it it did affect a lot of people. And there are people that can no longer afford houses that they were looking at in a certain price point. But if you put it into perspective, I mean, some of these houses were going $50,000 over asking, even in the sub million dollar market. So you were in a sense kind of paying more for a house and it all kind of evens out if you look at interest rates versus paying over asking and what your monthly payment is. They're pretty even. So um, it was kind of interesting to see how people didn't really respond as I thought they would. I thought more buyers would kind of pull back and not be as aggressive looking or some buyers would change their price point. But I did not really see that personally. Yeah. And I would think this post-COVID transition is a lot easier. And Houston, to your earlier point, the market is far more normal to begin with. So you didn't have the extremes like you've had in, say, like a Miami or the Hamptons or some of these other markets, even Greenwich, where in some areas things went up 50%. <laughs> you know, yeah. so there, you know, those prices are going to come off and interest rates get people sensitive to that. But if you're in a more normal market to begin with, the impacts aren't as great, you know, negative or positive. And I, I think that's probably a healthier place to broker real estate, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, I feel fortunate that we're not seeing the downturns like some other cities are doing, because I think that really puts things into a spiral when you start seeing prices come down or higher percentages sold under asking. I think that really kind of sets a tone for the market. So I've been really pleased that we've continued kind of a steady path and it kind of yeah. took yeah. it kind of didn't really have a drastic turn. And I hope it stays like that. And um, so I think it'll be good for Houston if it stays like it is. Have you seen tech people from California and even just people from New York or the Northeast come to Houston for the no state income tax, the weather, and maybe for people from California, a tech job, you know, like you've seen in Austin and to a certain extent, Dallas? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think Austin got a huge amount of that tech industry. Yes. I have somebody that was referred to by a previous client that's moving here from LA and he's opening a business in Texas for tax purposes. So I think there's a lot of that going on. I have a client moving from a Northern Texas oil and gas job. I think oil and gas, obviously... We had a little bit of a downturn for that for a little while. And I think now things are starting to move in the right direction again for that industry in Houston. So we're seeing more movement there. 
I'm still seeing kind of some lawyers being transferred internally between offices, whether it's Austin, New York, and the Chicago client moving for medical. So we have the whole medical field here too. So we have lots of different avenues of why people are moving to Houston. I don't know why anybody would move here for the weather because right. 80 degrees outside and we're in December. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but when it's blizzarding up north and, and we can be in our short sleeve shirts down here, I guess that's the only difference. Where do people in Houston vacation, both in terms of summer destinations and winter destinations? Oh gosh. I mean, it's like all over the board. I think probably the biggest spots I see local Houstonians go, obviously Aspen and Vail and a lot of the ski resorts. That happens in the winter and the summer. Park City, Utah is another one for skiing. But a lots of people leave Houston in the summer to get to cooler climates. So anywhere, California, Northern California, Colorado, lots of Northeast like Nantucket, Hamptons, places like that, even the East Coast a little bit. Florida is a big, big destination. 30A is a big destination for Houstonians as well, mainly during spring break or early summer because it does get pretty hot in like July and August, but it's an easy flight or you can drive. So I feel like that's a big spot for people vacationing. But winter months, I think people do a lot of the ski resorts. And then summer, I see all over the map, but those are the most popular destinations. Well, we just picked up Private Client Network Partners in Vail and 30A. So <laughs> we'll have to introduce and, you to Yes, 30A is fabulous. I highly recommend vacationing there. There's lots of different neighborhoods or little parts of 30A that have all been developed. Alice Beach is one of the newer ones that they're still building houses on the beach side and it has a private beach. It has full service drinks and food on the beach. I mean, it's really high class for the area and there's lots of things to do and lots of people, good restaurants. and Yeah. And just hearing you talk about all these potential destinations, winter or summer, it just reinforces just how centrally located Houston is. It's so centrally located. I mean, we can get to Mexico really easily, Cabo or just down south. Southern California is not a far flight. I mean, we're really kind of in the middle of it all. So it's it's not it's not a bad flight really anywhere. Yeah. So let's move into your business. Why don't you take our listeners through your team, how you've set it up, how you differentiate yourself in the market? Sure. So in Houston, mainly, I guess, in the markets I work in, teams are not really a huge thing. There's a handful of people that have done the team route, but for whatever reason, it just really hasn't flourished in Houston amongst the agents I typically work with. So I have two assistants. I have one that's been with me for going on five years. And then I have one that has been with me will be two years in January. And they both have been a great asset to our business. They both bring different values to the table. And I'm just really thankful to have them because they make my life easier. And they also are help make my clients' lives easier in the process. So we have been at Compass for four years, and I was previously at a smaller brokerage prior to that. Since coming to Compass, I was on the path to have doubled my business every year, except for last year. You know, it's kind of hard to do that 
<laughs> with all things considered. But I have maintained a spot in the top 25 agents by volume and luxury in Houston in the last three years. And hopeful that I will maintain that again this year for 2022. I think one of the biggest things about this industry that oftentimes people do forget about is your clients are obviously very important in your client relationships and keeping your name and your presence amongst your peers and your referrals is very important. But I think having those relationships with agents and agents that you work with from time to time is so important, almost equally as important as those client relationships, because these are the people that are bringing you off market homes. They are coming to you to collaborate. They are coming to you for advice and it all goes full circle. So, you know, there's always that time where there's an issue with a transaction, but just remembering to be professional and make sure that agent relationship is kind of in place is so important. Obviously, your client's best interest is always the priority, but you can still be a professional and have your client's best interest. Now, it's important that you mention that people talk about being relationship-driven versus transaction-driven. And when they do that, they mostly talk about the client side. And I always reinforce the clients, obviously, are critical, but so are your fellow agents. And you shouldn't see them as competitors, but more collaborators. And the better you cultivate those relationships, you're going to end up doing more business. You'll see. Right. Yeah. And I mean, being competitive in this industry, most people that are in sales are competitive by nature. And it's not unnatural to feel competitive with other agents, but be competitive with yourself. Like try and do goals that you set for yourself, not goals that you're seeing other agents do. And I think that's really hard to get past sometimes. I mean, I'm a competitive person and I always want to be doing better than I did the last year, but I've kind of turned that into, okay, how can I be better than I did last year? And that a lot of the time circles back to, you know, collaborating with other agents, finding out what they're doing to increase their business, finding out what they're doing to grow their business and keep in touch with clients and find new pipelines. I mean, you'd be surprised. A lot of agents are more willing to share what they do and their tips and tricks than others. But I think that's really important to keep in. I mean, I have a great relationship with a lot of agents in Houston that I work with, and I take pride in that because I think it's really important. How has social media changed your business and how you promote both yourself and your listings? Social media is a crucial part of my business. And I think most agents will attest to that too, because I see more and more people that are jumping on the bandwagon, or if they already had a presence in social media, have amped it up, whether they've hired a third-party person or a person internally, or just kind of doing it more themselves. But we took a third-party company on a little over a year ago, and it's been great because it's just one less thing that we have to worry about day in and day out. And it really helps us focus on what we need to is you know our clients and the actual transaction and not so much about the social media. Somebody else can be kind of worrying about that. And we just have to be there to approve things and come up with ideas that we can collaborate on. But I've gotten referrals from social media. I've had people that have had small brokerages in cities that where Compass is not present and they've found me on social media and have sent me referrals. 
and vice versa. I have had a recent client that was moving to Charleston, South Carolina, and we obviously don't have a presence there. So I was able to reach out to another Compass agent that was close by and say, have you ever had a referral there and who have you liked? And I was able to kind of look at their social media and see if they were the right fit after having a phone conversation with them. And they just helped my client close a home there. So I think social media is great. I think it's a good way to reach out to your audience, whether it's buyers, sellers, agents that are getting started, agents that have been doing it forever. I think there's always good content that I come across that I think it's important that people are talking about and sharing because we all experience different things every day in this market, in this industry, and it's good to share and discuss what's going on. You know, and I think clients are very savvy to it and they want to, it's all part of your reach. If you're pitching a listing, they want to see that you have a social media presence and that you're sort of a player in that arena because they want their listings to get that sort of attention and be part of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what other ways do you sort of attract business? It sounds like you have a tremendous broker referral network and that your clients refer you How else do you do lead generation or prospecting for listings? I don't really do any of the lead generation. I've tried Homelight and I've tried a few other before. And I have gotten one or two great leads from it that have panned out. But I've also had something that I got from that type of lead generation that was not a great fit. So I just think just continuing to do what I'm doing with the referrals. And I do do advertising and print. I do something called the Scout Guide, which is a local publication that each city has. And there's a local editor that scouts high-end businesses that typically provide a service or have you know a storefront. And I think that has been great to be a part of because if you have it in your city, you might be traveling to another city or moving to another city and you can reference that a little bit because they really do have the top of the top in the Scout Guide books. So print advertising, Scout Guide, referral networks within Compass, and then of course, just that referral network in your local city has been extremely impactful for me. You don't get the referrals continuously if you're not doing a good job for your client. And I think that's the most important thing that you have to do to continue getting business is to do a good job for your clients and have their best interests and continue to stay in touch with them and make sure that you know if they ever need anything, even after the transaction's complete, that you're available. Yeah, that's the single best source of a referral. Someone's done business with you And then they're willing to tell someone else that they know that they should use you. There's no better endorsement. Absolutely. I mean, that's the single best referral you can get. Yeah, because this this business is built on trust. And and in terms of just typical lead generation, I always tell people, work your, your CRM, your own network, monetize your own network. If you focus on that, you don't really need to pay these third parties for lead generation and quality of those leads is less than stellar. Yeah. I mean, if you're getting started and you're just trying to stay busy and keep things moving and hope that maybe one out of 15 uh, leads you get, it pans out. Absolutely. But for me, it just, that wasn't the right path I wanted to go in. And I felt like I was spending time with people that I was getting, you know, following up on leads and that didn't pan out when I'm like, I should be spending time on my network and my CRM and like the clients I have in front of me. 
Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of running your business, what are like the biggest challenges that you face sort of week in, week out? We all wake up on Monday morning and we want to have a certain week and we want to get certain things done and things go off the rails. And then there are always things that we struggle with that we wish we had more time to do or figure out how, you know, how to do them more efficiently. Are there certain things that you sort of see as challenges that you're still trying to overcome? I think we had a little bit of that during the COVID year when we were really, really busy. I think we actually worked with Shrag Shah, who's an amazing coach and did some sessions with him because my assistants and I were struggling really with just having everything in one spot, knowing, okay, has this been done? Has this email been sent? Have we followed up on this? Has this task been completed? Kind of that was our biggest kind of struggle when we had a busy year. I mean, everything felt like we were double tapping on a task when we didn't need to and felt like we were doing more work than we need to. So we kind of implemented a little bit of a system. We do a shared notes where we can kind of check things off as they're done. We kind of did a more organized system where one assistant was responsible for certain aspects of the business and the other one was responsible for the other. And then, of course, any questions or anything important was on me. I'm really excited to see Compass pull out the new platform that was presented at the retreat last year. I think it's going to be a game changer because I think everybody, including the buyer, the title company, the lender can be on one platform. And then that buyer continue or seller continuously has access to those documents and that information even after the transaction's over. I think that's going to be a game changer. I think it's going to free up everybody's time because everything will be in one spot. But I think that's just the biggest thing. It's just being organized and not doing more work than you need to is probably our biggest hiccup. And I feel like we finally started figuring out some tools that work for us. I mean, of course, being a mom of two kids, you have to have work-life balance. And one of the reasons why I like having my two assistants is that if there's stuff that needs to be done that I absolutely don't have to be there for, that I don't have to miss out on time with my family. And I was told a few years ago, make sure that your family stays as your top priority because it's really easy to get lost in this career and time flies by and you're like, wow, I can't believe I missed this and this. So that was kind of one of my biggest things. I was like, I don't want to start a team, but I don't want to feel overwhelmed and feel like I have to do every little thing and stay up till midnight you know, responding to the email or uploading documents into our organizational system. So I I truly believe that once you find that work-life balance and you have an organizational system and you have good time management skills, I think those are really key qualities that are really impactful in this business. Yeah. If you put good people around you, you can do more in less time and that's nirvana, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's move into sort of the final chapter here and sort of the lifestyle of Houston. It's your opportunity here to be an ambassador. If someone's thinking about a move to Houston, whether it's for any number of personal reasons or a relocation, what's a day in the life for Houston? Explain that to our listeners. Yeah. So if you're moving to Houston, you can be coming from anywhere. Houston is one of the largest cities in the United States. So there's a ton of diversity. There's a lot of different options for living. And there 
are so many different aspects that you have to think about before you choose on where you want to live, whether it's being in close proximity to your job, if public schools are important, if you want to live in a highly dense area where you can walk, or if you want to have more green space and be farther away from your neighbors, or if you want to be up in a condo. I mean, there's really so many different options in Houston. And that's why I think it's really important that before you kind of decide on where you want to go to really have somebody help navigate the city for you. And I really love helping relocation clients because as you know, I'm from Houston. I know the city very well. I love helping people decide, okay, I have this age kids and I need to figure out what schools we want to apply to if we're living in this neighborhood. I love being a resource for that. So when it comes to that, I have put together... And it took a really long time, a relocation guide. And I actually got this idea from Erin Kruger when we were at the Nashville retreat. She presented everybody from PCN with it. And I was like, wow, this is such an amazing idea. And we have kind of grown the relocation guide and have built it over time with everything from restaurants, shopping, local happenings, utilities providers, and then neighborhoods, all the sports teams, all of that can be overwhelming when moving to a big city like Houston. So it's kind of just like a cheat sheet guide. And then from there, I like to talk to people and really try and dive in and understand what they're used to, where they're moving from and kind of find maybe a similar neighborhood that would be comparable to where they're moving from or if their needs have changed, like if they've had kids or if they're downsizing and they want something different really trying to hone in on those key traits that they're looking for and help them find the right neighborhood or two for them to kind of just start exploring. That's really interesting that you say that the client is going to tell you basically how they want to live. And then you tell them where they want to live. If they want to live a certain way, then you're going to want to live here, here, or here. So that's a really interesting process. And I think the relocation guide's an amazing idea. Yeah. And I mean, I do have some people that will say, oh, you know, they know people that live here and they'll say, oh, they told me this neighborhood's really great or this neighborhood's really great. And then they'll tell me their budget. And I'm like, well, those neighborhoods are great, but this is kind of like the entry level price point. Or I've heard this area is great, but I don't want to be farther than a 10 minute commute. And I'm like, well, that's farther. So I can immediately like kind of check stuff off their list they're not like looking at houses in a neighborhood that don't really make sense for their lifestyle. But yes, I mean, most people have some sort of an idea or know somebody that lives in Houston that they've talked to. So it's not like they're coming into this completely blind, but I really try and help them narrow it down and then maybe give them other suggestions for neighborhoods or parts of town that maybe they don't know about. But then once they have that information and we've kind of narrowed it down just into like a virtual search. Once they come in town, I think it's really good to spend time driving them around these neighborhoods, kind of showing them where like the local restaurants are, the local grocery stores, pharmacies, and kind of letting them see the full picture and seeing if that feels like that fits their lifestyle. Yeah. And when someone's relocating, they sort of have to do that quickly, you know, come in for a weekend or a few days and you really have to attack it. So obviously spending the upfront time going through a filtering process is really critical. Right. Because there's no way we're going to be able to see every single neighborhood in Houston and really like have them absorb it all in a couple of days. So it's good to have kind of that preliminary narrow down before they get here. So what do you see for 2023 in Houston real estate? 
I think Houston's going to be good. I think we're going to go back to a healthy market. I think we're going to continue seeing people moving. Once that inventory kind of picks up and interest rates maybe kind of settle down a little bit and stop fluctuating so much, we'll feel a little bit more certainty from buyers. I mean, if you look at it, buyers that moved in the last few years have a really great interest rate. And if they didn't move, they most likely refinanced. So people that don't have to buy or don't have to move probably are not going to just for the sole fact that they, they're sitting good with a really low interest rate. Yeah. So we're going to have to see more people feeling the need to move, whether it's for a lifestyle change, being closer to a school, being closer to a job, because I don't really see that most people are just wanting to move just to move right now with all that considered. So if anyone listening to this podcast is considering Houston, don't forget to call Caroline Bean, our private client network partner at Compass in Houston. She'll take excellent care of you. And anything else you want to say in closing to our listeners, Caroline? No, I really appreciate you having me. I love sharing my experience. And if anybody ever has any questions about the Houston market, or if you're an agent in any market that wants would love to talk to me. I would love to share my experience. Excellent. Well, take care. Thank you so much uh, for being on Luxury on Location. Thanks so much, Kevin. A sincere thank you to Caroline Bean for being our featured guest on our ninth episode of the second season of Luxury on Location. That was a great conversation, which we sincerely hope our listeners enjoyed. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. We understand there are a multitude of podcasts out there, so we appreciate that you chose Luxury on Location for your listening pleasure. We hope to see you back for our next episode when Kevin Snedden will be speaking with another one of our private client network partners and discussing their luxury market. In the meantime, please check out the Private Client Network at Compass, your nationwide resource for luxury real estate. We operate in virtually every luxury real estate market in the country, you can find us at theprivateclientnetwork.com or on Instagram at Private Client Network. Until next time.